Hello and thank you for tuning in once again to the Reptile Living Room. I'm your host, John F. Taylor, and tonight we're on the line with uh, none other than Gary Rolfe of Northampton Reptile Center. You may have uh, recognized the name from various other posts that I've done uh, over on the Northampton Reptile Center. But uh, Gary and his team over there at Northampton are just really focused on the reptiles and what it takes to take care of them, the whole nine yards. So, without further ado, here's uh, Mr. Gary Rolfe of Northampton Reptile Center. Tonight we're on the line with uh, Gary Rolfe of Northampton Reptile Center fame. And uh, basically, Gary, I guess the first place to start would be, how did you get started in reptiles at all? Me personally or the company? Probably you personally first, and then we'll move on to the company. Okay, with me uh, personally, I kind of stumbled into reptiles. It wasn't my first love. I started off uh, with fish and aquatics, and that was always my passion. That's what I went and studied at university. Oh, really? Okay. Uh, but yeah, but as life takes its twists and turns, as you go through uh, things changing, it was actually uh, head snake I got for my girlfriend at the time. Um, so it was her who got into it, and as soon as we got it, it was just a corn snake, your standard snow corn snake, and then uh, I was hooked, and this was a few years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, I, as part of uh, the biology degree I did, I'd actually studied reptiles quite a bit, but didn't get that uh, that hook that you get from keeping them yourself. Mm-hmm. It was an interest. It wasn't that, uh, it's almost like an addiction you get once you get your first reptile. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I don't know anyone who stopped at one reptile. Yeah, no. You get a small, well, you know what it's like, John. You've got a, a small collection yourself because it's yeah. sad. So, um, so, yeah, that was a few years ago. Um, and obviously, the uh, the reptile centre in Northampton was local to myself, so I was in there quite a lot. I knew the owners anyway. Oh, okay. Um, from when they was in with their fish, so we already had that connection. Right, right. Um, one thing led to another, and... Uh, well, I knew I'd uh, switch allegiances from the fish to the reptiles and, and uh, haven't looked back since, as they say. <laughs> and how long has Northampton been around now, uh, Reptile Center? It's opened in 95, so we're in the 16th year now. Nice. So it's, uh, it's one of the older ones in the country. Um, sort of 16 years ago, it wasn't as... Uh, uh, the hobby wasn't as, uh, as big as it is now. It was mm-hmm. very, very... It was specialist people. It was those who were interested in something really unusual. Right. Uh, who were into reptiles, and even then, the choice wasn't as uh, as wide it is now with the uh, with the animals you can keep. Um, obviously, last five years or so, anybody a reptile can be a first pet for people. Um, so it's just totally changed. Totally. Yeah. Very um, true. So now the first uh, first reptile you kept was a snow corn snake. Um, well, that wasn't my personal reptile. The first reptiles I had uh, were a pair of tortoises. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, so MJ and Bubbles uh, just pair of tortoises. MJ and Bubbles, <laughs> nice. Uh, yeah, they're, they're still doing um, pretty well. Um, can't knock them. They. Uh, as much as I like tortoises as characters, though, they, uh, I wouldn't go so far as say the most interesting reptiles you can get, so, uh, right. from then on, yeah, so we've got the tortoises, then there's the, uh, snow corn snake, and then you end up, well, what, what, I've one of those geckos, now I better get one of those. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe 
maybe something a bit bigger, and then you go, well, about a boa constrictor, that's getting a bit, uh, a bit more interesting. <laughs> the problem is, there is no end, John. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's something else. And then you think, okay, well, I've got a nice little collection now, and then, uh, well, the balls are getting a bit more interesting, aren't they? So yeah. Then it, as it sort of morphs in it, it oh, it's just, it's a non-stop hobby, but, uh, yeah, every time you go to the reptile show, you're just like, wow, that's a new one. I haven't seen that one. What? I think I need that one. <laughs> yeah, I remember you before, and uh, I think you were going to leave your wallet at home last time you went. Yeah, that didn't work out so well, because I... <laughs> that's how I ended up with Carl, the accidental chameleon. Chameleon, didn't you? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So, uh, now, what kind of uh, reptiles, I mean, you guys seem to carry almost everything at Northampton there. I mean, you guys got geckos, bearded dragons, I mean, you name it, it's there. Is there anything in particular that, that's your favorite right now? Well, bearded dragons are, I don't know what it's like in America, but they are number one reptile pet yeah. in our country. Is it the same over Well, country? um... I think it is now, um, probably more in the last year or so, it's become, you know, bearded dragons are more and more common, but the most common that we hear for everybody to start with is usually a leopard gecko, and okay. I think that's just because of a cost issue, you know, yeah, whereas yeah. bearded dragons will be, you know, well, now, babies, you can probably get them for like $30, $40, and then, you know, leopard geckos, you can pick up um, those for like 10 to 15 you know, really? and plus the uh, size of enclosures that you know people require, or that the dragons require, is a little bit larger. Well, significantly larger than a leopard gecko, anyway. Yeah, I mean, we still find even considering those factors, bearded dragons probably, I would say, outsell leopard geckos five, six times over. Really? Wow. Yeah, at our place, and it's it's just down to the habits, isn't it? You can have the lizard that's awake during the day um, spending right. its family its daytime with you uh, it's out it's active it's big enough that um, the younger kids can handle them and not damage them they're just not aggressive whatsoever right it's just it is the perfect family pet isn't it even though say, there is a little bit more involved in the setup, up um, they do require something a bit larger mm -hmm. they're, they're just a better uh, pet so without a doubt we would sell more of those than anything. Um, followed then, I would say, by the corn snakes. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, definitely, out, out of all the snakes. I think uh, the, royal, uh, the ball pythons, you guys, are probably your most popular snake, aren't they? Yeah, yeah, the ball pythons, or royal pythons, is um, the proper name, I think. <laughs> but... <laughs> We take it, you know. Most people call them ball pythons. It still drives me up the wall, but you know, oh well. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, they, they, they're starting to catch up as well uh, now. And, they, and again, I think mean, it's the uh, the morph thing that's definitely helping. Uh, well. Oh gosh, yeah. And that's fantastic because we are. Um, I'd say we're although we're not limited, we carry a good range because we only stock uh, captive bred reptiles. We don't do any. Wild core, that does yeah, no, that's something. That was something I thought was really cool, actually, because most pet shops, um, whether they know it or not, <clears throat> they will actually, you know, buy from 
um, importers that you know, and importers are wild caught animals. You know, unless it's specifically stated on the bag when they come in, you know, that it's a captive bred animal. You know, because I know at some of the shops that I worked at, you know, we were getting them from various import export companies, and you know, the mortality rate was just unbelievable. And I kept trying to tell my managers, you know, guys, these are wild caught animals; they're not captive bred. And they're like, "Well, we don't have a choice." And I'm like, "Okay." <laughs> the problem and, is, it's uh, they're still so much cheaper. Um, there's there's a lot of animals. Um, animals are a good example. Um, right. We sell them a few pounds, that, and that's what, but they cost far more than that to to produce captive bred. Right. Um, sadly, that's the problem. Buy belly toads are another one. Mm. Buy them for like ten pounds, but uh, to sort of raise them from tadpole and bring them, up, they're going to cost a lot more than that. Um, so, generally, don't get animals like that in too often. Mm. Um, they're not so readily available. And that's that's the problem until uh, that takes off. We're always aren't going to be slightly limited, but that's the. Uh, starts with taken um, it's right for us and um, stick with it and uh, hopefully carry on being successful with that um, idea philosophy now do you guys do any breeding programs in house in the actual uh, Northampton Reptile Center there or yeah um, we've got a few animals we breed all our own bearded dragons um, there oh they wow they're, they're so easy to breed it's kind of you let them get on with it take the eggs out and incubate them yeah, exactly. Um, I mean, yeah, just give them somewhere to lay. So we've got quite a uh, large incubator. Um, actually, converted. you know the sort of large cone of printers with a big open front door. Mm-hmm. Uh, we converted one of those with heat cables into um, an incubator now. Because um, oh. we get that many go through. So all the bearded dragons bred uh, by ourselves. Uh, occasionally we'll get uh, a more unusual form brought in if we haven't got those particular parents just to, to start something a bit new mm-hmm. uh, get a bit of variety in there um, and the fact we've got that many we give them away now the bearded dragon with the setups um, rather than sell them just because we need to sort of promote them and move them on right uh, right then, uh, if you uh, keep a bearded dragon right it will breed it's as simple as that you don't have to do anything special they'll just go for it yeah uh, so they yeah, just know what they're doing <laughs> yeah definitely it's, uh, how do you stop them um, <laughs> you can separate them but uh, um, yeah they're fine so loads of bearded dragons um, corn snakes um, breed no end of those as well okay um, king snakes we have them. king snakes are not as popular as things like the corns uh, but we still have a few of those data Yeah, the crested geckos are really popular over here. Um, personally, where I live, I can't keep them because it's just so dang hot. I mean, in the summertime, it gets maybe, I think the the highest we've had so far is 110. You know, and, you know, crested geckos above 80, and, you know, it's done. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We're quite lucky. Most people here, their house is naturally be in the range Right. Right. So a lot of people don't even need any additional heat in this uh, uh, playing glass terrarium with them. Mm-hmm. And uh, 
yeah, it was a reason to keep the rest of the get-goes. So, uh, uh, we're bringing lots of those. In fact, quite a few of our staff members have got the uh, get-goes themselves, so there's a constant supply of eggs coming in from those guys as well. Oh, really? Uh, as well as the adults we've got in the shop. So, yeah, a lot, a lot of the eggs uh, are sort of bought from staff. Well, and customers as well. Um, this the, the setups we keep our animals doing, they're the ones we get ourselves and customers as well. So mm-hmm. if they're going away with the bearded dragons and the corn snakes, keeping them the same as ourselves, um, nine times out of ten, they're back a year later on with a box of eggs <laughs> just to go straight back into the incubator <laughs> and uh, so, it goes, so it carries on. Nice. But, yeah, <clears throat> you know, I think if people uh, add something to their hobby, at home and it's not just people who are um, experienced wrestling people it needs to be people who uh, have come in really draining could be their first wrestling mm-hmm. and they they can enjoy the hobby to the extent where yeah they can go home and, and breed them themselves right so yeah so, yeah a lot of eggs can be in a trying to think what else I can do obviously let them get those as well mm-hmm. uh, yeah just generally you uh, Common stuff, um, the leopard geckos, uh, corn snakes, bearded dragons, crescent geckos, I'd say we probably um, cover 90% of the reptiles we sell. Um, anyway, oh, we have a go with the spiders as well. Um, I don't speak, not speaking reptiles, but they're part of um, what we do there. Yeah, spiders and mantids and all that no. stuff, you know, it's just it's part of the reptile culture. And people just yeah. need to accept it. <laughs> you know? Yeah. So, so it always throws you when I'm trying to talk to people about her, um, her pathology and then you have to throw the spiders in, which are not really herpetological, well, they're not herpetological animals. Right. But they, they have to go in with our group as well anyway, so it's wrecked on amphibians and uh, randomly spiders and then a few insects as well that are so. Yeah. Yeah, so, yeah, plenty of spiders. Oh, we breed a few scorpions as well. Um, but that's a lot of the time with, uh, um, it, it happens, it happens, or customers bring stuff in rather than uh, certain efforts to prove the inverts, really. Right, right. Now, other than the uh, ball pythons, what kind of boas do you guys carry at the uh, Northampton? Okay, uh, well, in the boa constrictors, um, we often carry uh, commons. Um, I think we've got some head coals at the moment. We've uh, got a guy on in red tail there. Uh, oh, wow. Yeah, which is not, I mean, she's only uh, sort of three, four foot at the moment, but uh, she's a lovely snake. Um, we've got a Hog Island cross at the moment, so that's the bow of the With the, uh, using the term boas, uh, as opposed to the species, we um, carry rainbow boas, so the Brazilians, um, mm-hmm. and the Colombians as well, recently. Um, so yeah, we've got plenty of baby Colombians. Um, um, Amazon tree boas as well. Uh, got the different types of those there. Doomrolls boa, been a very nice. We've got a uh, who else have we got? The Madagascar mouth boa as well. Uh, so yeah, we've got a few. We try and um, give as much variety sort of as we can. If we see something that's come up, there's a little bit unusual. Uh, some captive bread, which mm-hmm. uh, we try and get on it as best we can get it in and offer uh, as much choice as we can with our stuff. Right, right. Yeah. Now, one of our listeners actually wanted to ask you a question. 
Um, it says here, and uh, I have a six foot male boa, uh, and he's talking about uh, rainbow boas. And it's he's saying um, the past couple of weeks, it's been uh, a real nasty snake. It strikes the glass when he's walking past, and he knows it's breeding season. And also, from what I can understand of the message, below the male's enclosure is a female rainbow boa. Um, and he's wondering if this would uh, affect uh, the behavior of the male boa. Would that make him more aggressive, or do you think it's something else that's going on? Possibly. I mean, if any behavior changes, um, regardless of what season it is, mm-hmm. um, I would always check the environment first. Right, uh, right. I've had so many occasions where I've gone around the houses going, okay, well, it could be this, it could be this, it could be this, it could be this, um, and their thermostat broken, and the snake's just got cold and has made it grumpy. You know, it can be something as simple as that, so I would always uh, just double-check all your temperatures are, are as they should be. Um, obviously, make sure it's feeding correctly. Sometimes um, the snakes are getting up to uh, breeding season, they can quite often go off the food, so he's, he's doing that as well. That can sometimes be a clue that he's uh, females are his number one priority. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it could be exactly what he suspects, but check the basics first, always. Right. Okay. Fair enough. So, um, now, you mentioned that you had a Hog Island cross, uh, as far as yeah. the boas are concerned. What's your uh, what's your take on cro- on uh, hybridization? Personally, uh, I try and keep it to a minimum. Okay. Um, I mean, this particular snake has uh, been here for a few years. Um, I think it's one of those things, as long as it can be kept under control um, it's absolutely fine um, but you can go so far down the line with uh, hybridisation you, you lose the original uh, base animals uh, that you used to have because obviously if you, if you uh, say merged two, both, two different types of red tails um, then obviously you've got a hybrid then you breed that hybrid with something else before you know it you've just got a, a complete mix and you don't know what you've got right um, <laughs> So, I mean, I, I personally like to keep it to a minimum, if possible, but um, you know, each of their own, as long as you can uh, sort of track it back through the various stages so you know exactly what you've got, then... then okay. Fair enough. Now, in your, uh, in your personal opinion, what's the hardest part about being successful in the reptile industry today? The hardest part? Um, I think you've just got to stick to your your guns and uh, and what you believe um, and then you'll be rewarded at the end of it it goes back to what we were saying earlier on I mean ours we've always put the animals first that's been our last few week and uh, it, you look at uh, a lot of the animals available like say the wild horse animals you can buy them in cheap sell them out cheap and you can sell a set up with it as well and, you know, you'll turn over uh, you know, their money initially um, but it's just not been our way with uh, stuck to our guns we pay a bit more for our animals because we you know we like to make sure they are captive bred um, which ultimately means sometimes our animals may cost a little um, but that's not, that is the hardest part is sticking to what you believe in right and, uh, and people will come on board with that you, you find you'll get uh, following of people who believe um, what you believe in the way you believe in doing it and as they uh, 
educate themselves and start to understand um, what it is you're trying to achieve uh, by doing it your way, um, I believe you'll become successful. And that's why we've been around for so long. And um, we've stuck doing it that way. Okay. Now, <clears throat> what would uh, take us through your daily routine um, there at uh, Northampton Reptile Center? Okay. Um, the doors open to the public at nine, so uh, we like to get all the guys in around about half past eight. Um, first thing we do when we leave it quite tidy at night anyway, so we don't have to come in and do a whole lot of cleaning. Right. Um, First job, always uh, get the waters done. Uh, so the guys will go around, um, change all the waters, the bowls come out, they're sterilized. Um, we don't just go around and sort of top their bowl. Oh, wow, well, okay. Around. Yeah, they go up to a uh, washroom and uh, we put a left tent which exams everything. So all the bowls get that every single day, go back in with fresh water. Obviously, as the guys go around and they're, they're doing that, any spot cleaning that needs to be done while the cave is open uh, will be done. Sort of any uh, muck or mess or pieces or anything like that will be taken out. Mm -hmm. uh, any, any veg bowls, uh, all the animals get fresh veg every day. Uh, so any veg bowls where they've not fully finished their veg from the day before or guys put a bit too much in, that will come out. Those dishes go off to the, uh, the washroom as well. Again, F10. Um, and then the veg eaters will get um, a bowl of fresh veg and we'll just sprinkle some vitamins and minerals on it. Okay. And uh, that's those guys set. Now the next stage, once that's done, is um, up to, I'd say 50% of our animals require misting each morning. Okay. Keep the humidity up so the dogs will go around. Um, it's like the amphibians um, need it quite a lot. The chameleons will get a misting as well each morning. Uh, the bearded dragons will get misting as well in there, um, just to make sure everybody's had a drink. So the guys will go around and get all that done. Uh, they're the fundamental jobs. That's what has to be done every single day, um, and that's just all about keeping the animals in the uh, best condition possible. Um, during the day, um, the bulk of it is uh, looking after the people who come through the door. Uh, so it's making sure when people come in, they feel welcome. They have looked at the animals. The animals are. Um, able to come out, they can be held, um, we try and handle as much as what we've got, as much as possible to sort of keep it calm. Um, you know, if you ignore snake decisions and pick it up, it is going to probably strike you. <laughs> yeah, a lot of animals out, we handle them, we let people handle them. Um, and that's what it's all about. Different days of the week, there'll be different jobs to do, the tortoises have to be taken out and have um, a bath. Uh, ten minutes to help them stimulate them to go to the toilet and hydrate right. them to the mouth. Um, Wednesday afternoons, for example, state feed day, so all the, the mice and the rats and everything comes out and frosts in the morning. Uh, and then we'll have a team of a couple of people who will feed all the snakes on the Wednesday afternoon as well. Uh, in the evening, any of the uh, animals that need a second misting will, will get their misting. Um, and any animals that need a, uh, a thorough clean out as opposed to spot cleaning. Um, for example, we will clean our bearders out once a week. Um, any of the bearders that need doing full substrate out, full disinfect, uh, back in. Uh, so most of the, the job is kind of split between looking after the animals and looking after the people who do the door. Okay. And, uh, that's pretty much all we can do it. Nice. 
And uh, what would you say, uh, what would you uh, recommend to somebody that wanted to get into breeding reptiles? What would you say would be uh, some of the things to be careful of or watch out for when you first start? Okay, I mean, you always want to know, um, someone comes to me and says, I want to breed reptiles. First question is, why? What What do you want to get out of it? Um, right. and a lot of the people will be honest and say, well, you sell these reptiles for £100. I'll breed these, I'll make a lot of money. When the, the reality is, you don't. The time you will uh, invest into uh, Sort of looking after your adults, feeding your adults, maintaining your adults, changing UV bulbs, and then you go to make the eggs. You've got to raise the babies and look after them the same as you do the adults. There's really not a lot left at the end of it. So you can find a 10 minute discussion with a lot of the people who want to get through, and you can, uh, a lot of them will lose interest pretty quickly if they're just after the money to do it. Right. Um, so, yeah, if someone's just coming in and they, because you know, they've got a passion, it's it's just another dimension to their hobby and they just want to be able to do it. You know, if they get a bit of money back at the end of it to uh, you know, feed their adults for a little while or, or they can invest it back into their hobby, then that's great, but that's just a bonus for them. Um, so they're the people that, uh, you know, you really want to sort of get in with and sort of help them enjoy that part of it and enjoy the part of the hobby. Um, so from then, it's a case of, okay, what are you interested in? Snakes, lizards, Whatever it is, find out their interest. Right. Said, yeah, I'm in states and say, okay, try corn states or something just to get your, your toe in. They're, uh, they're, so e- they're so easy to breed, and you can sort of get a bit of experience of uh, uh, incubating the eggs, um, feeding the babies, and just, you know, just, a, just a slower introduction to it. If you do that and you enjoy it, then then, then move on, get onto your, your royal pythons or you know, if you really give yourself a bit more of a chance to get to your flowers or, or, or something like that, just do whatever it is you want to get out of it, but do it the right way. And, uh, right. You with it. But uh, the last thing we ever want to do is put people off um, doing it by thinking it's difficult because um, I think anybody at any stage of the hobby can enjoy that part of it if they're um, educated right to do it. Even, even a beginner can come in and Right, right. Now, what are some of the major changes that you've seen personally in the industry since you started? The major changes are popularity. Okay. Of it. So, initially, when it was a very uh, a, a niche hobby, um, there wasn't so much available. You'd uh, be able to pick up a, a few bits here, a few bits there. Um, you'd be driving one or two hours to, to visit a couple of different shops. Mm-hmm. Uh, because of the popularity of it now, a town can uh, support two or three shops. Um, customers, it's great for the customers because they get a lot more choice. Um, because there's more shops, there's more people keeping them, there's more people, people breeding them. Um, what's available for people is absolutely fantastic. The morphs that are available, uh, there's something that's changed. I mean, even if I go back to... Um, when I was a youngster, sort of 25 years ago, mm-hmm. if you wanted a snake, you, um, you had a garter snake. There weren't a huge amount of choice beyond that. That's what you had. You, you had a, uh, a garter snake. Right. Um, 
and now you've got this uh, red rat snake, corn snake that's come in one species. Um, you know, you can have up to 50 more to this one species. The, the choice you've got is, uh, is amazing, uh, and that popularity coupled with the, uh, the advances in the technology, uh, meaning that the newcomers can keep a bearded dragon, they can uh, get their um, you know, 10% UV tubes that are so much better than they were even you go back five years. Oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. It's uh, fantastic. And obviously, with the technology going up, people getting more successful at it, the knowledge base that you can tap into um, with the internet and um, more books getting written, it's, it's just far more accessible. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, they would definitely be the biggest changes uh, that I've seen. Right, right. Now, you guys, when you saw the setup, um, what's all included in like the bearded dragon setups that you guys have been doing recently? What all what all is included in uh, when you walk out? I know you get the bearded dragon, the enclosure, and it just seems like there's a whole lot more to it than what we get here on stateside, which is you know, okay, here's your lizard, here's your enclosure, have a great day. <laughs> yeah, we, we want to make sure that when somebody leaves, um, we don't want them to leave with any questions unanswered. Um, so it's not a, uh, a shopping experience where you'll come in, pick something off the shelf, and we'll walk out. Mm-hmm. You know, we walk through every aspect of that setup. Right. Because um, it's it's not enough to say somebody, "You'll be the dragon needs this fluorescent tube in his bedroom." You tell that person why they need that fluorescent tube, and they understand how important it is. They'll replace it as and when it needs, and you know they won't get the health problems associated with it. So right. Make sure they know whether they need their UV tube. Um, they'll know why they need two basket lights. Um, they'll know why that animal needs to be kept at that temperature. Mm-hmm. Um, one thing I, I think you guys, especially where you are, John, don't really need is the nighttime um, heated so much. For um, example, for your bearded dragons, just because it's warming up anyway. Right. Um, yeah, in our guys, we do keep uh, surround heaters in ours at night as well mm. uh, to keep them around about the 80 degrees um, you know, winter here it's just it just plummets and gets too cold for them right um, we, we use wooden vivariums um, where I think uh, a lot of guys sort of stay on and use uh, a terrarium of glass mm-hmm. uh, board. Um, whereas with us it's a lot easier uh, to use a wooden vivarium because uh, it keeps heating um, and where it is cold here, we can't afford to lose that heat, otherwise we find our vivarium in heat in our room rather than the actual animal enclosure and stuff. But yeah, so there's a little bit uh, more involved, uh, but as long as you, uh, you know, people understand why they need this stuff, and it's not just getting loaded up with a load of products and just shipped out the door. Right, um, right. It, it's not a problem, it's just making sure everybody uh, sort of understands everything their reptile needs before they buy it and in fact if, if people aren't ready um, to know all that then they're not ready to really get into the reptiles really right right now just for our listeners um, stateside if you guys do want to check out uh, Northampton Reptile Center I'll, I will definitely put a link in the show notes now what is the uh, physical address Gary for the actual shop for because it's like half our listeners are, are over in you know uh, the UK there, so 
what's the address that they would find Northampton Reptile Center at? Okay, if you can get onto the M1 from anywhere in the UK, um, just head on down to Northampton. We're right in the middle of the country, so it's you know, it's best not a lot more than a couple of hours drive for, for most people. Uh, if you can get into Northampton, head towards the rugby ground and get to 159 Wheelan Road, um, that's exactly where you are. Uh, and we find this open seven days a week. Wow. So you guys, I mean, Sunday to Sunday, you guys are open. <laughs> wow. That's it. I mean, Sundays is quite new. Um, I'm happy to say I don't work Sunday. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. <laughs> uh, but yeah, seven days a week, uh, just to spread it. Um, Saturdays were getting so busy um, that we just needed to open on that Sunday just to sort of spread that out a little while. You know, with a decent sized shop. Um, you know, you need a bit of breathing space, really. Right, right. Now, how would somebody, um, if they wanted to start working with reptiles at a place such as Northampton Reptile Center, how hard is it to um, get employed over there? Um, it is it's quite a popular uh, job. Yeah. Um, so, I would always say the best thing you can try and do is... Uh, try and get a bit of hands-on experience mm-hmm. um, with reptiles. I mean, most people who want to work with them have got their own reptiles at home, but looking after them on a, uh, on a larger scale is totally different. Right. We have, we have work experience year-round um, at our place that we're taking from the schools and the colleges. Oh, okay. Um, so if you're in that sort of age, that's an avenue to look at, but... Um, do need to book sort of six months in advance because there's, there's quite a waiting list to get in. Um, wow. Yeah, definitely. Uh, but yeah, hands-on experience with the animals is, is the best way to get into that sort of thing. And once you've built up that bit of experience, even if you volunteer somewhere to do a little bit of work, mm-hmm. that's what you need to do. Very cool. All right. Well, once again, we're on the line today with uh, Gary Rolfe of Northampton Reptile Center. Um, you guys now have uh, the website. The address will also be um, available in the show notes. And, uh, Gary, I appreciate you taking the time. I know it's, gosh, what time is it? Uh, do I even want to know what time it is over there? <laughs> it is bedtime. <laughs> it is bedtime, definitely. And so there you have it. That was Gary Rolfe of Northampton Reptile Center, and it was definitely, definitely way past his bedtime. It was like 2 a.m. Um, over there in the U.K., I think, when uh, Gary and I were uh, finally wrapping up this interview. So, Gary, uh, once again, I do appreciate all your uh, concerted efforts to help me out with the show and uh, everything you guys do over at Northampton Rocks. I can't wait to get over there and actually see it in person and actually do some uh, field herping with you folks. So, uh, once again, folks, do uh, throw some comments up on the blog. Um, do check out Northampton Reptile Center, especially if you're in the UK. Um, I don't think there is a better quality shop out there for reptiles, as far as I know. And from what I've heard, uh, everybody at Northampton really does, you know, just an amazing job with all their reptiles and things of that nature. So do check them out, Northampton Reptile Center uh, com, and uh, we look forward to seeing your. Uh, seeing your comments on the blogs and uh, what have you. And uh, we'll see you next week in the Reptile Living Room.